Welcome back to the 99th episode of Bandwidth Blog On Air. In today's show, we're doing a very special episode where we're looking back on our favorite technology news stories for the past two years. Welcome to this very special episode of Bandwidth Blog On Air. Welcome to Bandwidth Blog On Air, the weekly podcast of BandwidthBlog.com. Dennis, it's very funny to me to think that 99 episodes ago we were just starting out with Bandwidth Blog on Air, and it's been, I think, an absolute roller coaster ride since then. I don't think either of us anticipated what the show's become. It's become a very central aspect and highlight of my week, and it's really perhaps pivotal in our 99th episode, I think, that we look back at the past two years and unpack some of our favorite technology news stories. I've thought a lot about this and and one thing I've mentioned to you in private is that there's only really one story that comes immediately to my mind and then there are several others that, that are floating around. So I think I'll stake the claim on that story and this is perhaps indicative of one of the more fascinating things we get in our work inboxes. And this was the announcement that LG introduced the Hombot Plus, which all jargon aside was a vacuum cleaner powered by augmented reality. Yeah, I mean, that is something that not everybody would know about because it's uh, it's completely strange and out there. And I think it's very indicative of, of the journey that we've taken in the last two years in terms of, you know, what what are the what are the natural changes that are uh, that are going to happen in our world? And obviously, a lot of that is going to be through technology and not only our smartphones and our tablets and our computers, but also how technology kind of flows into some other everyday kind of things and I don't even want to talk about the the internet of things the IoT environment but but what you've mentioned I mean it's 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 wacky and it's weird and it's out there and you know why would someone want to use that in the first place well that, that's the question I still found myself asking more than a year later and the reason I bring it up as you say is because it's a fascinating convergence of some of the many things we've spoken about on bandwidth blog over the past two years coming together there's obviously the uh, appliance aspect the iot aspect as you mentioned and of course and there's just the general insanity of a product as conventional or generic as a vacuum cleaner having a, a sophisticated onboard platform like augmented reality to do its job and that to me is absolutely wild if i think perhaps two years ago when we started this podcast to bring that on onto our show would have been really out there but the fact of the matter is uh, coming with these two years we've done the show it's sort of we have to acknowledge that the future is happening now and i think that's why i've chosen that perhaps my first story to mention i'm going to pivot to you tennis what's something you'd like to revisit so something that that I found super interesting in the last couple of years, and and we actually have spoken about this broadly, is how the the cheaper phone manufacturers have kind of uh, become a lot more pervasive in our everyday lives. But specifically, something that I never saw coming, and that I never saw working, and then now very recently in this year we saw a sequel to was Xiaomi's Mi Mix and now we've got the Mi Mix 2 and it's 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 an awesome concept and 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 at this stage you know it's not even a concept anymore it's 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 an actual phone that you know I would love to be using if we were able to get that in our hands and to have that 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 
you know, that whole idea of the, the initial limitless display, the initial bezel-less display that kind of broke ground in that sense. And I think paved, paved the ground for a lot of other more mainstream manufacturers after that. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that the Mimix will sort of go down as the unsung or that unsamsung hero of bezel-less displays because that really was the pivotal moment that we saw the direction smartphones would head in. And when I recall we saw it at the tail end of 2016, I thought to myself, wow, this looks really good. It looks really amazing. But, you know, it's probably going to be at least three to four years before we see smartphones look like this. And in hindsight, I was entirely wrong because what came around the corner was, of course, the LG G6, Galaxy S8, and now a whole slew of, of flagship smartphones that have dominated 2017 with that form factor. And it's perhaps one of the most enticing aspects, I think, if you go out and ask someone what do they want on a phone now, they usually point to the fact that they say, oh, you know, a nice display or a nice camera. And 2017's flagships have, for to a large extent, had both those qualities. And that's really been I think thanks to the Mi Mix, uh, the, like I say, the Mi Mix might not go down in, in history. It might not be the device everyone remembers. Arguably, I think people will be talking about how the Galaxy S8 and the iPhone X introduced these design fundamentals, even though that's not entirely correct. But uh, that is, as you say, the way it goes. Speaking of, of things we didn't either anticipate, I'd like to touch on two brands I thought would never see the light of day again and shows again how wrong I was. The first is is, uh, is the Nokia brand running Android. I was devastated when uh, when Microsoft called off its uh, Lumia project, although I think we all expected that that was heading towards a tombstone at some point. And of course, looking at BlackBerry, it didn't seem like BlackBerry were any, any great strides either insofar as BlackBerry was, OS was going. But both these brands have managed to turn it around thanks to Android. And Android is now the world's foremost operating system. And I think it's pivotal to think about you know, when we started this podcast two years ago, we had a host of different mobile operating systems to talk about. And now we really have two. It's iOS and Android. But it still amazes me that brand names that were ailing before can make a success and can stake a claim in the Android world. I, I think that just speaks volumes to the power of Android and, and how well Google have shaped that ecosystem. I mean, for them, initially, I guess it was about getting traction uh, um, into the smartphone market. And they had some very bad phones at the beginning that were running Android. Um, but now they've, they've become so important in the smartphone market and not just because of the actual software, but they've, they've given... Um, other companies and, and OEMs this this mandate to okay um, you know the, there are these set features that has to be in any Android software skin or any un, un, other kind of ROM that you might want to ship with your device but you are free to experiment it's kind of an open platform and in that sense I think that's why it's been so so successful and that's why something like um, Blackberry OS and Symbian back in the day um, and Windows Phone recently have kind of fallen by the wayside is because of this openness that Google approached this uh, operating system with and and that's why they've become by far the, the the biggest operating system in mobile phones i think definitely and i think to speak more broadly and perhaps something google has had a large part to play in as well there's a technology like android that i didn't really anticipate would take off as simply and as well as it has over the past couple of years and that's virtual reality specifically i'm talking about mobile virtual reality and one of the favorite stories one of the topics i love talking about 
is actually Google Cardboard. And why I say that is because I think this represents a monumental difference in how we approach using our devices and our handsets specifically. You know, to get a, a budget handset, one doesn't have to pay a lot of money at the moment for a decent handset, that's true. But you would think that with uh, virtual reality headsets, get something to get something really that works re at least really well with the smartphone, you'd have to go out and splurge. But the fact is, people don't. They can actually use recyclable materials to make cardboard VR headsets and enjoy content directly on their mobile device. And I absolutely love the principle that perhaps we don't need to continue mining the earth for valuable resources. We can reuse what we have to very specifically engage or use our devices in interesting ways. And I can't wait to see what Google do with Cardboard in the future. I hope they don't let it go in, in favor of Daydream View, but I think Cardboard has a very definite role. And to me, it's really exciting for those reasons. I don't know. I think, um, uh, to be fair, I don't think we'll see the lights of cardboard again. I, I I think it was a once-off experiment and it was kind of a nice little fun gimmick for Google to get into that play. I think Daydream is what we what we actually got from the experience that, uh, experiments they had with cardboard. I might be wrong. That's just my feeling at this time. You know, there's, there, there's still so much work for these companies to do um, to catch up with the likes of, you know, the, the hardcore VR stuff, uh, you know, the Oculuses and the HSC Vive, for example, are light years ahead. And obviously, it's a very, very different kind of idea and very different markets. But I think eventually, in, in within the next two, three, four, hopefully not more than five years, will be very much in the space where where the Oculus is now with your with your smartphone. That is very much something I hope we'll see very, very soon. Now, Brian, something else that I wish we would see very, very soon is um, a new uh, console generation. And this was one of the very interesting conversations we've had over the last couple of years um, is how gaming has evolved and how gaming has become this universal language where, you know, 20 years ago when I started gaming, um, it was very much just for the geeks and for the guys with nice PC. And, you know, it was a very niche thing. Now, because of the advent of smartphones and the way that the technology in consoles are going and that you're paying $400, at the most $500 for a very, very decent console, um, things are changing so quickly. So where, where do you think in the next couple of years we'll be going with, um, with consoles and do you, uh, when do you think we'll see a next generation of consoles? Oof, that's a really good question, but I'd like to to sort of revisit on that note some insight uh, IGN executive editor Zed Creel gave us on our last episode because I think he said this very eloquently and I think his point was excellent in the sense that this console generation is very unique because we have products like the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X where manufacturers are sort of saying let's produce these consoles let's push the available hardware at the moment to the limit and give gamers a really accessible hardware platform now obviously that comes with some unforeseen costs but it's very much a novel introduction in the gaming space i think because we've always been up until now reliant on the fact that we need let's say one console generation to last for a couple of years and now we sort of have one console generation with several offshoots to the side i don't see that abating at any time in the present and personally looking at the trajectory of of specifically hardware versus software. I think software now is advancing at a faster rate than hardware is developing. And I think in the future, when we do see a new console 
uh, generation potentially within let's say in the next four to five years i think we'll continue to see those kind of offshoots come like the xbox one one x like i mentioned uh whether that's a good or a bad thing i think is up to consumers at the end of the day insofar as i'm concerned i just like to continue to see one staple console generation even if it has sort of branches to the side so i'm relatively okay with that to talk about hardware in another sense uh, and perhaps and perhaps recapturing some of what I was saying about the, the Google Cardboard earlier, I'd like to pivot to a, a story we covered very recently, uh, but it's one that really, really provoked my interest, and that's that Samsung had converted 40 Galaxy S5s into a Bitcoin mining rig. Now, Tennis, you and I can debate how successful that Bitcoin mining rig would have been, because as we know, that hardware sort of goes in and out of date on a month-to-month basis. But I'd love the idea in principle that Samsung was able to convert hardware or, or, or smartphones in general and the very rare elements and materials inside them to better use. And one of the examples I think I spoke about on Bandwidth Blog on Air previously with you, and then one that sticks in my mind is imagine if you had an old smartphone and you were able to download sort of a DIY kit and convert it to another smart home product like an IP camera or a smart doorbell. I think that's really the future. I have to agree with you there. I think um, something, you know, we're all very environmentally conscious these days and recycling is super, super important for a lot of people. But what most of them don't realize is that our electronics need to be recycled as well. And and you can't recycle it by throwing it into a bin. There needs to be some other uh, uh, process of us actually being able to recycle those things. And, And what Samsung is doing, whether or not the, the the Bitcoin mining rig actually works isn't the point. I think um, you're completely correct that they are going to be in the next couple of years a lot of other ways to re to recycle all the electronics, and it's not just because of the screen or the camera or the electronics uh, in the motherboard or whatever the case may be. It's going to be a combination of all of those things, and whether that means that you you pull your two-year-old cell phone apart after the contract expires um, and as you rightly said the camera might go into that smart doorbell and you can look who's uh, who's who you know who, who's at your door or the motherboard goes into a little uh, chromecast kind of device that you plug into your into your display or you know there's so many interesting things we can come up uh, come up with here and, and i think we need to because as you know um, a lot of these electronic devices are made of very rare metals, and there's only so much of them in in the world. And we're going to have to find a way to make it last for hundreds of years to come. And I think that's the next wave of recyclables we'll see in, in the next five to ten years. On that note, I think there's a topic that maybe both you and I can resonate on, uh, and it's actually a sad one, is the sense that uh, perhaps speaking on the attack of, re- of reusing devices or, or intelligently looking at how we recycle or upcycle uh, materials in our smartphones, Google had a wonderful idea built on the back of the, the phone blocks campaign that sort of went viral maybe two or three years ago now, and that was Project Aura. Now, for the uninitiated, Project R was intended to be a modular smartphone, so you would buy a chassis and then be able to insert and take out different smartphone components like a camera, extra battery, new processor, that sort of things. And unfortunately, Google couldn't make it work and it eventually canned the project. And as we have it today, smartphones exist in their present form. I was devastated by this. I thought the idea was awesome. Some companies like Motorola still persist in making modular accessories, but arguably, I don't think we've come anything close yet to the wonder we had with Aura. And like the Concorde perhaps is described, I think 
Maybe Project Aura was just ahead of its time. I hope so. Um, and in saying that, I hope it's, in, uh, it's ahead of its time uh, in that it would come back eventually. Um, I agree with you. I think, um, you, you know, it, it would be such a different smartphone market if that was uh, actually the case. And I'm not sure if people would actually take to that. And I, that's why I'm so bummed that they never actually tested it. Yes, it would have it come with a hell of a lot of cost and they probably wouldn't have been profitable at all. But that's the kind of thing that Google does, you know, that's their, their crazy R&D division and, and, and that's what the kind of stuff that they come up with. And you would have thought that they would have pushed through to at least test it and make sure that it's, uh, you know, that, that, that it's viable or, or, or then test it and see that it's not viable and then we scratch it. But but to do that at such an early stage, it, it was it was quite disappointing. Um, and on that point, um, the, the other thing, Brian, that I think we, we've spoken a lot about over the last couple of years, because there's been rumors upon rumors upon rumors, and we haven't seen anything other than some, uh, uh, some demos at CES and MWC, foldable devices. Now, we are once again hearing rumors that no, no, it's not. It's not 2016. It's not 2017. It's going to be 2018 when we see these foldable devices. And it seems like Samsung and LG are at the forefront of giving us these brand new devices that should bring something completely different uh, to our everyday lives. Well, I really hope so. I've been covering the story for at least three years, and I'll be damned if I don't see it come to fruition. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think. There is a hunger for foldable devices and especially since sort of the tablet market collapsed and is sort of being carried along half dead by the iPad. There is, I think, a real longing for a larger device that can transition between states. I think one of the ways we sort of bridge that gap is by making smartphone displays larger on the, in the sense of the Samsung Galaxy S8, Mi Mix on the LG G6, etc. Um, and I think that having a foldable smartphone that could transition to tablet uh, a tablet size would be really useful not only in everyday use but also in educational uses perhaps where students could have a smartphone and a chromebook like laptop in one go i really do hope it comes to fruition because as we know the technology is there samsung lg even oppo have, have sort of produced uh, takes on interesting takes on this technology and i really hope within the next five years we see it become reality. What I'll look forward to doing then is sort of visiting back now and seeing which idea really wins out at the end of the day. I think lastly, tennis, there's perhaps something I'd like to chat about. Uh, and I actually mentioned this is my top moment in tech for 2016, and it still really is. But now I'd like to expand on it a little bit more is the sense that we're in 2017. And previously, we lived in a world where Apple would produce its own hardware, Google produced an operating system, and Microsoft had a disaster with Nokia. Now we're in a world where Apple produces its own devices, and further to that, Google and Microsoft produce their own devices. And I think the world's a better space for it, because the Pixel and Pixel 2, despite I think their production woes at present, are really great smartphones. I couldn't wait to get my hands on one if they ever arrived here. And similarly, I think the Microsoft Surface line, the Surface Book, Surface Laptop, Surface Studio are really fantastic pieces of technology. And I'm really happy to see international technology companies almost maybe taking a small page out of Apple's playbook and producing really excellent devices. That's very true. And I'm also just like you, very happy to see the likes of the, the all traditional software manufacturers really going into hardware, because I think Apple was actually one of the first ones to do that. Um, in, in when they shifted from their old Mac 
kind of Mac line to their their iPod line, and then they became very much a software company with with iTunes, and then they had to focus back onto the hardware when it came to the iPhone. Um, in terms of Microsoft and Google, it's great to see them actually playing in that market, and and it's and it's finally after years and years of effort bearing fruit, in my opinion. I think the the Google Pixels and the Nexuses before that. Um, and in terms of Microsoft, the the uh, Surface books and the Surface laptops, you know, there's there's a lot going for for, for these two companies in in the space. And I, I actually think it's a great thing because I think the likes of Apple really needed some proper uh, um, competition in this space. And I think for the first time in probably a decade, we've got it. Perhaps the last thing we should touch on in this very special episode is a sincere thank you to you, our listener. When Tennis and I started Bandwidth Blog on air two years ago, neither of us could really have anticipated the direction the podcast grew in and how much fun we'd have bringing you exciting and informative technology news stories every week directly to your ears. It's been a roller coaster ride, and coming episode 100 will be our very final episode of Bandwidth Blog on air. However, we will be returning to the airwaves in 2018 with a brand new podcast, which we'll announce in due course, so do stay tuned for that. It's been a hell of a ride and we're so excited to bring you the final episode of Bandwidth Blog on air next week with episode 100. And thank you very much for walking this journey with us and kind of pushing us in the right direction. From me and Brian, this has been awesome and we'll have our final thoughts next week. Thank you for joining episode 99 of Bandwidth Blog on air. Next week is episode 100 of Bandwidth Blog on air. <laughs>